Welcome to the world of digital sound. Hey guys, how you going? This is Ken. This is another podcast story. Guys, this is number 94. 94! How could we possibly get to 94 without this being made into a film or a TV series? <laughs> Wouldn't that be brilliant? I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that this made into a TV series. Probably, probably when I eventually snuff, um, it will get made into a TV series. <laughs> Right, okay, serious stuff. <clears throat> serious, serious. Uh, welcome to the podcast story number 94. This one is called White Van. Now, um, let me just start by saying, usual disclaimer, all any parts of none bits up, down, left, right, of this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think any of it, all of it, or none of it is true. And put your comments in the comments section on the YouTube video, which is up on the Ken channel. That was said rather fast, wasn't it? Oh dear, I've gone all posh. What? Okay. Um, right, so let's go and uh, talk about this one and tell you where this one came from. I was, rem- <laughs> was reminded um, about this. Oh, God. It's a long, long story. <laughs> I was reminded about this as being perhaps one of the funniest, uh, one of the most entertaining uh, two days I can ever remember. And how I'd managed to forget about it, how I haven't discussed this before, I just don't know. Because it is crying out to be made into a podcast story. If no one had ever told this story, it would be a crying shame. It should never go down in the annals of history, um, unknown and unheard. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And this one is called White Van. Now, as you know, uh, all those of you who follow the show, you the faithful, uh, we are making another seven, including this one. So we're going to get to a hundred and then a hundred is going to be the final, le final podcast story that we will ever be making. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. I don't think we'll, ret- I don't think we'll come out of retirement once we retire these at a hundred. But I will just leave them on the internet. I will just leave them uh, there for historical purposes. And you'd be amazed what these are used for, by the way. I've I've been contacted quite a few times by people all over the world saying that they use these to teach people English. They they use these podcast stories as homework. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of guys in Malaya, uh, English teachers in Malaya got in touch with me and said uh, we're giving out your podcast stories as homework we're teaching people how to speak English and then like we're encouraging them to you know download you onto their iPods and listen to you (laughs) god I am responsible for teaching people English how lovely and delightful um right okay so let's crack on with this one this one is called white van um oh god where do we even start with this okay like so if you've never listened to a podcast story before, you really should go back and listen to some of the podcast stories. I suggest you start at number one and end at number 93. Although there's one of them, one of them in the middle is all fucked up. I don't know really what happened to it, but something went awry in the um, in the upload and in the conversion process. And uh, it's knackered and it, it's a real shame. It's gone. It's, you know, disappeared forever and it's lost. So anyway... <clears throat> Let's um, let's try to get this one from the beginning. Right. For those of you who don't know, um, I was what was known 
back in Coventry in the 80s, going into the 90s, as a bit of a fag-end crook. And by that, I mean I wasn't gay, I wasn't homosexual. I was, uh, I was like the butt on the boil of humanity as far as, as far as crooks go. There were a family that ran Coventry at that time. A lot of people have talked to me about the family, you know, and, you know, saying, oh, how terrible it was, you must have been... And what you need to imagine is, imagine what London was like under the craze. Coventry was the same sort of feel, but to a lesser extent. But which meant that there were no muggings of old ladies. There were no um, sexual assaults that didn't go unpunished. There were None of these things happened. Crime was... Crime was taken care of because crime was dealt internally. Nobody wanted the police um, putting in lots and lots of time and resource uh, investigating things. Nobody wanted crime to go up to the extent where they would have to put in more police officers on the beat and more. Because it made everyone's life more difficult the more coppers they put on the beat. And for that reason, if somebody broke into a house, if somebody mug somebody they would get punished and not by the police and punishment punishment that was given by the family was a little bit different <laughs> they get a good kick in is what i'm trying to say they get a good kick in quite quite often worse uh, especially if they mugged an old lady chances are they wouldn't walk again and uh, or if they did it would be a very long time before they could walk again um and my role in all this was I was basically at the bottom of the food chain as far as the people that ran Coventry were concerned. You had the family. And I do, I do liken it to, to a kind of Sopranos organisational structure, although it wasn't anywhere near the Sopranos. I mean, it wasn't, you know, gangsters and guns. No, it was gangsters and guns. <laughs> But it wasn't as sort of that. But there were the family and there were lower members of the family and each lower member of the family ran a team doing something. And whether it was prostitution or racketeering or armed robberies or whatever, there was different aspects, different arms of the family doing different things. And uh, where I came in was... Myself and a bunch of guys that I hung around with, a bunch of really great guys that I, I'd known for years, we were doing a lot of repo work. This is how we made a living uh, in the 80s, late 80s especially. We would repossess cars for dodgy garages who were giving dodgy cars to dodgy people with no contract but paying me on the weekly. Um, we were repossessing these cars when they wouldn't pay. And, you know, we would also be around to do the legwork for members of the family. So, for instance, you know, if uh, they wanted to stake out a particular uh, warehouse or whatever to see the ins and outs, you know, they, they didn't want the same car parked out there every night looking. So they'd maybe use 20 of us and over a space of three months, 20 different cars would be kind of logging the comings and goings in a, a warehouse. This is how it worked. And it, this is where I came in. That was my role, if you like, mine and the guys I hung around with. We were really the fag end of uh, of all of this. 
And the fact is, we lived the life as well. You know, we had plenty of money. We always had work. Um, we had the best of everything, really. We had nice cars. We had nice flats, apartments to Americans. Um, you know, mine was mine was lovely. It was a two bedroom apartment had uh separate bathrooms separate loo and you know it had a 40 foot lounge it was more like a loft than it was anything else lovely balcony and it overlooked the city you know it would it was a really nice place it was expensive but it was a really nice place and uh this is how we lived and we were the envy of a lot of people that we were in a position where we'd gained a level of trust to get work i mean you couldn't just go out with five mates and say okay we want to work for the family you had to earn that trust and it was a slow process and a hard process but you know we did it and uh we had a lot of wine we had a lot of women and we had a lot of song you know it was how we lived um especially the women (laughs) and uh, our typical regime and i apologize if you already heard this but our typical regime was during the week we'd do shit and we'd work uh, Friday night we would do the pub and then we would go to um, uh, Buster's and which was a nightclub in Coventry and on a Saturday night you would do the pub and you would do Buster's at midnight and then Park Lane and uh, then sometimes you'd do other things it was, it was like you know you'd it was the same routine basically we, we'd meet up in the pub we'd have a few berries we'd do a nightclub if the nightclub was okay we'd stay if it wasn't we'd go to another one and this is how we kind of lived our lives you know so that's it that's who we were that's what we did and uh hopefully now that i've explained that i won't have to explain it on the next seven podcasts i'm just going to refer people back to the first 10 minutes of this one so anyway so we um we were in the pub and it was a Friday. Was that Friday? I think it was a Friday. And uh, one of the family came in and he just gave a nod and then walked to the bathroom. A nod in my direction and walked to the bathroom. God, if you did that today, you'd <laughs> be arrested. But fair enough, I got up walked to the bathroom and he said we've got something going on i said all right how can we help it's a really really simple i just uh i just need a couple of you guys to like you know make sure you're available on the fringes uh about two o'clock this morning tomorrow morning and we were like oh well i was like oh that's fair enough i suppose i mean i we get pissed every night so a night away from the clubs will be okay and you never refused anyway i mean for god's sake if you ever said no i'm busy you would never work again (laughs) so we were we were like okay so what do you want us to do and he said look just be around in your cars be by a phone i'll call you about half one and uh we just need you to run some flack so i said okay so not a problem so anyway we um I went in and told the boys, and the boys were a little bit disappointed we weren't going to the club, but they weren't, you know. And we all got up and we pissed off back to my place, got a few beers, and we sat there drinking, watching videos. And uh, do you know what? That Oh, God, I do remember that night. I do remember that night. 
Oh shit! Who was it bought that video? Oh, I can't remember his name. Can't remember his name. Um, the, quite often, <laughs> the boys bring videos over, and he brought over this video, and it was fucking disgusting. <laughs> I had never seen anything like it in my life, and we were like, "Where the hell did you get hold of this?" And the thing is, he had been over to Amsterdam for some reason, and he came back with this video in his suitcase. And why he did that, why he did that is just beyond me, because, I mean, if he'd have been caught with this... It had animals in it, all right? I'm not going to go into detail. Oh, you want me to go into detail, but I'm not. It had animals in this video. And uh, I have to tell you, it was difficult to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny actually that after that quite a while after that uh somebody somebody got a, a copy of animal farm which was again a pornographic uh bestiality video and i watched it with the boys now that one really didn't affect me at all but this one this one was just, oh god thinking back at it now some of those pictures you can't unsee things can you you can't unsee things that you've seen and I was trying to not watch it, and I was trying to make conversation, <laughs> saying, uh, so what do you reckon this job is tonight? And in the background, all you heard was, Murr! <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no, no, don't, it's too big. Murr! <laughs> it was surreal, <laughs> totally surreal. <laughs> and then I got up into the kitchen. Uh, I went to the kitchen to get another drink. And uh, mate mine was in there, Tony. He said, I ain't watching any of that. I'm going to throw up. And I said, oh, you know, it's, it's you know what they're like. Just let them watch it. It can't be on for too long. And uh, he said, you know, it. if it just gets, if it gets any worse than that, I'm telling you, I'm going to puke. And I tell you that out of the speakers, the surround sound speaker system I had. Oh, God. And the guy's got his dick in a chicken. <laughs> and Tony's going. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> God. Oh shit, I forgot all about that. It was that night though, it definitely was that night. Uh, because. Oh, Jesus, we talked about it for so long afterwards. Anyway, right. The video ended, and we all decided that whoever brought it, I can't remember which one of it was, was a sick fuck and needed therapy. <laughs> oh, God. It's quite funny. And I was <laughs> trying to have a normal conversation. <laughs> How's your mum doing, Tone? Anyway, 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 stop that. So, um, uh, right, so we watched this video and then we put on a different video when we started watching that. And, uh, you know, we sat around and had a few beers and we waited. About half one, the phone rings. And 
I'm going to call him, uh, what should I call? I'm going to call him Mark. Yeah, let's call him Mark. So Mark phoned and said, you know, actually, should we call him? Yeah, let's call him Mark. That's a bit too close to his real name. but Okay, <laughs> okay let's call him Mark. So Mark phoned and said, right, what we need is uh, two cars on Warsgrove Road. Uh, keep your eyes open for blues twos and anything unmarked. And uh, you're going to need a couple of cars on Fosal Road. Stay in contact with your mobiles. Have your mobiles with you. Make sure there's at least one mobile in every car. And uh, we want four cars out. Are you okay with that? And I said, yeah, sure. Okay, we're on. So we then shot off out. We went to, I went to Warsgrove Road, a couple of mates went to Fosal Road, and we parked up at different areas, different different places. And the, the thing is, uh, what they were going to do, we didn't know it at the time, but they were going to do an armoured truck. And this truck delivered at half past two in the morning to this place in Coventry. And... Uh, all we were there, we were eyes and ears and running deflection. Now, by that, I mean, if for whatever reason, um, because these things happen, you can get bad luck, on the sheer bad luck on these jobs. And uh, if, for instance, um, uh, if, for instance, just a panda car, a patrol car, just happened to be driving up a particular road at a particular time, spotted what was going on, then it was really, or he thought he spotted what was going on or came a bit close to what was going on, it'd be down to one of us to go and drive past him at a ridiculous rate of knots, uh, spin the wheels around, drive like a twat, and then get him to chase us so that he wouldn't, you know. And uh, chances are, you know, there was a possibility we'd get caught, and if we did, we'd get done for, uh, you know, due care and attention or whatever, but we'd be compensated from for that from the family. So... You know, it was always worth it. I mean, if you got done on a on a job for the family, you can expect at least a grand, you know. And if you got done bad, if you got done and you did any sort of bird for, for anything, you can expect five grand. If you got a year, you can expect ten grand. So, you know, they always looked after their own. And that was a great thing about working with these guys. So, anyway, we were parked up and uh, we heard... Um, Christ, we were there till about two o'clock. Um, and where I was, I saw a particular van go past me and it had the name of a security company written on it. Okay. And it instantly occurred to me what was going on. I mean, I, I didn't, I had no idea about the job. They never, you know, we weren't high enough at the ranks to be told what the job was uh, beforehand. So, you know, we were just given a, a role to play. And I uh, saw this thing go past me. And I telephoned, you know, Mark, and I telephoned back to the to the cars, and uh, I said, "Is this what we're looking for?" And he said, "Right, okay, uh, there'll be a a white van. Keep your eyes out for a white van, all right." So it's like absolutely fine, no problem at all. Well, we're all sitting there, half past two. Um, we hear an alarm going off, and we also heard what we thought were gunshots, shotguns. And uh, that wasn't unusual. Chances are they would have used them to scare the security guards out of the van so that they could get in it. And bear in mind that the security vans, they're not like they are today. They're not kind of ridiculous tanks of cars. They were just basically transit vans with a, you know, a few extra security measures on them. Um, so anyway, the, the next thing we know, um, we can hear sirens. And we're thinking... 
Right, okay. The sirens. Uh, cops are on the way. Somebody's hit a panic button somewhere. And those sirens are far too quick to um, to correspond to the actual job being done. As far as we were concerned, the job was either in progress or coming to the end of what they were doing. And those sirens are just too quick. They shouldn't be going off at this point, unless they're for a different job. And that's always a possibility. I mean, you could find yourself sitting in a road, running deflection, and you know a police car goes past you. You think it's something to do with what you're up to. It's not. It's something to do with something else, and you 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 know react badly. So you've got to be aware of all these things, you know, and you've got to play these things by ear. But keep cool, keep a calm head, and that's the difficult bit because at that point the adrenaline. The adrenaline just kicks in and it runs around your veins and it feels like acid the way it burns you. And it, you're just kind of sat going, oh, Jesus, you know. Anyway, we couldn't do anything until we heard something from Mark. My phone rings. It's Mark. White van, Fosal Road, run deflection, right? And he gave us a street on the Fosal Road so we knew exactly where he was because Fosal Road was about f- five miles long. And... Uh, you know, we talk, you know, run deflection. So is it five miles long? Probably less than that. And uh, we're listening out for the sirens. I've got the windows open on the car. The other boys in front of me are there. Uh, the guys who uh, were on Wallsgrove Road, they're on the way to us now. And they'll be hopefully coming off the ring road behind any police cars that are around so that they can tell us where the cops are. So anyway, next thing we know, I can hear multiple, multiple sirens. I mean, there's sirens going off left, right and centre. And my phone rings and it's Mark. And he says, it's a bust, we're going to ditch. And that was it. It's, you know, get the fuck out of there. Just (laughs) everybody's going to go. Everybody is going to pick a different fucking direction and just drive. And that's what we did. Everybody picked different direction and we drove. And uh, we went back to my place. So I phoned Mark and said, did everyone get out clean? And he said, yeah, um, everyone's out clean, but we've got a problem. And I said, what's that? He said, well, the white van that we used is in somebody's lockup. I said, all right, whose? He said, well, that's it. We don't know. So what do you mean you don't know? Well, the, the way that the streets were, especially up that area, was you didn't get a garage. You had um, you had your little terraced house, and then just down the road would be a block of garages. And, uh, you know, these blocks of garages, one would belong to each of the houses. So he said, we've dumped it in someone's lockup and just shut the door. The, the door was open, the guys put a van in the lockup, and, you know... I had to get out the back doors because there wasn't room to open the side doors and we've shut the door and just left it there and we're thinking oh fuck I said right okay well look um, anything we can do to help you know just um, just shout us he said yeah yeah we've got to come up with something he said the whole fucking area is swamped so anyway following morning on the news uh, we get you know armoured Robert armoured van gets robbed and uh, whilst it's making a cash delivery to a warehouse. And this warehouse was some sort of, I don't know, banking clearing centre for something or other. So, you know, there was a lot of cash there. 
And they said on the news that it was possibly anything up to a million pounds. And we just thought, fuck me. That is good. That is a good fucking robbery. I mean, if it's 50, 50 grand, they're probably going to leave it and walk away. But fucking hell, a million pounds in the back of a bloody van. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> they're going to want that. They're going to want that back. So it's just a question of how long and what and what the police are going to do, you know. So anyway, I took a, a bit of a drive up the area. And I told Mark this. I said, you know, I'll go and have a drive around and see what, see what the crack is and uh, give you a call. He said, yeah, just don't get your face spotted, you know. So I took a drive up there and uh, went all the way around the area and was stopped three times in the space of 15 minutes. They had roadblocks. The police had roadblocks on every single fucking exit away from this place. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, they were absolutely convinced that this getaway vehicle had not got away that this white van was still in the area. And I was beginning to think they had some inside information about that. I mean, uh, you know, white vans, there's thousands of white vans out there. How can they be so convinced that this white van didn't slip through one of the many sort of funny little streets and roads that would have got them to the nearest motorway or whatever? And I just kind of thought, anyway, anyway I got back. I was talking to the boys and I said, I'm, I'm not happy about this because it seems to me like the cops have got too much info. And I phoned Mark and I told him and he said, yeah, I totally agree. They've got something from somewhere. And what they thought was that their inside guy at the clearing centre had turned on them. And if he'd done that, then he was naming names <clears throat> that could possibly get down the food chain. So, fucking hell. Thought if that is the case, but it, it might not have been. I mean, it could have been any anybody else that was even remotely involved with this, or had heard something in a pub, or you know, anybody could have said anything. But it's terrible when somebody opens their mouth and fucking turns on you like that because everyone looks at everyone, and you that you, you look at everybody and immediately you go, is it him? And then you. You base a decision on your gut, how long you've known the guy, what your relationship is with the guy. And, you know, you know in your heart, could it be him? Could it not be him? And this was the sort of relationship I had with all the guys I hung around with and all of the blokes that employed us to do any of this. So there's not a question. There's not a question in the mind of Mark or uh, any of these boys, any of the team, that could possibly put anything onto us. Thing is, though, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who it is that's grassed up whoever, because that's not our job to go and track down the grass. Mark and the family would be very, very interested to know who it was, and whoever it is, is going to find himself fucking headless, you know, or with a bullet in the back of his head. Because you don't do that. You just don't. But the police, in my view, knew too much. So anyway, I reported back to Mark and told him what was going on. Mark then just said, can you guys just kind of sit around and be available for if we need you? And uh, <clears throat> we said, yeah, you know, we'll do that. 
So later in the afternoon, I'm chewing them by the way. Later in the afternoon, we sat around in the flat and we chatted away. And uh, a couple of people came and a couple of the girls came round and we were like, I'm sorry, girls, you can't, uh, you can't really be here today. And they pretty much understood why. If there was shit going down, then we couldn't put them in a position of knowing anything about what was going on. And if they were there, we couldn't talk openly or freely. So, you know, we, we spent most of the day just sat around talking about it, you know. And then we got a phone call. And it wasn't from Mark. It was from another member of the family. I don't know what to call him. Don't call him by his real name. <laughs> I very nearly did then. I nearly called him by his real name. By a member of the family. And he said, right, we've got a plan. I said, uh, okay. He said, what I want you to do is get as much cash together as you can. Go out, all of you, and buy white transits. <laughs> Say fucking what now? Go out and buy a white transit. The whiter, the better. White transits. Yep, go and buy white transits. What we're going to do is we're going to go and get loads and loads of white transits and we're going to flood the fucking area with white transits. The police were doing door-to-door, -door, for fuck's sake. It wouldn't be long before they searched these lockups. It just wouldn't. And they thought, get as many white transits as possible and we just flood the area the police gets confused as fuck, and there you go. Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> I went down the bank, um, Saturday afternoon, just for the shot, and I took out 10,000 quid out of the bank. They weren't happy about giving it to me. They never were happy about giving me money, but they gave me my money. I'm sorry, you have to give us 48 hours notice. Fuck off and give me my money now. They gave me 10,000 quid. We, in our infinite wisdom, went to Nottingham to the auctions that happened on a Sunday. By now, by the way, it was Sunday. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, the auction starts. They have commercial vehicles at this auction. Cleverness. See, a bit of thinking down there for dancing. And we bought 10 transit vans, white transit vans. Uh, we only bought 10 because there was only 10 of us. And that cost us, I can't remember, it cost us 9,000 or something or other. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was really funny because if you were at the auction that day and you wanted a white transit van, <laughs> you were fucked. People were, <laughs> people were going, uh, next transit van, uh, who will give me uh, 250? 250, I have 250. And we bid on every single white transit van that came through. <laughs> else got a look in absolutely ridiculous but we bought 10 white transit vans well these cars these vans are not taxed they're not insured <clears throat> so we would have to use trade plates so we organized with uh, a couple of the garages we used to work for to get trade plates we put all of these vans on trade insurance <laughs> and uh, we took all of these vans back to Coventry well, there was us with our 10. Um, another 
group of guys that were very similar to us actually did very similar jobs for us and also worked for the family quite a bit uh they got eight i think uh there was another four from somewhere else anyway there were at least 45 transit vans white transit vans (laughs) and we had now got to the point where the police had narrowed this down to around about two square miles and they were there in force. I mean, they were, they, the roadblocks were still up. They were searching this place and that place. They were going house to house. They were absolutely going hammer and tongs at this. And then we turned up. And from each different direction, from each um, each narrow little side street, came 45 white transit vans. <laughs> we just started driving inside this cordon. Because as soon as they let you, they weren't really bothered about who was coming in to the area. They were more bothered about who was going out. So we were driving in with no problem at all. <laughs> and we were just waving at each other and you'd drive down the street and there'd be two white vans coming your way and three white vans going the other way. <laughs> vans absolutely everywhere. Vans on the side of the road that had been pulled over. Vans where <laughs> pulled you into a lay-by. Coppers stood in the middle of the road stopping white vans. <laughs> it just got absolute fucking chaos. And, uh, well... Whoever it was from, I think it was uh, the serious crime squad that were involved in it because they were getting really fucking upset, really upset. And I was really unlucky because when when the van I was driving got pulled over, the copper uh, that asked me to pull over and he kind of asked me to step out of this van. And then there was another guy stood there next to a car and I knew him. Oh, well, I recognised him. He was from Birmingham Police. And he just looked at me. He came over, he grabbed me by both of my collars on my shirt and put me up against the side of this van. I went, what the fuck is going on? I said, what are you talking about? What's in all these vans? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, man. It was just fucking ridiculous. He couldn't do anything. Um, although he, he threatened to nick me and, you know, he was going to throw me inside conspiracy for armed robbery and all that. I said, Lord, what are you fucking talking about? He said, what's in the van? I said, nothing. He said, there's nothing in any of the vans. <laughs> he was just losing his shit completely. And he got on his police radio and he's, there's people shouting on this police radio. <coughs> And you, you can just tell how irate people are becoming. And uh, anyway, we were being told to leave the area. And of course, we'd leave the area and then drive back in the area. And just keep going in and out and in and out. And tying up all these police that were there. So eventually, eventually, my mobile rings. And it's Mark. And Mark said, OK, we're done. I went, OK, cheers. I said, what do you want to do with all these vans? He said, put them back through the auction. Just stick them through the auction and we'll meet the uh, we'll meet any losses. I was like, right, okay. So we all trotted off. Um, 
down to different places and and uh dumped these bloody vans in a car park and got our cars back and we all went back to my place and that we decided like on the on the monday or tuesday we'd go back i think wednesday was the car auction day we'd take them back on the wednesday and uh anyway we got back laughing our fucking cocks off two seconds later knock at the door police they wanted to know what we knew about it <laughs> thought you're joking me I said, look, I've just been interrogated by uh, by West Midlands bloke, so, you know, I don't really need you guys coming in here. So, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, we're, we've been instructed to bring you on, consp- on, on suspicion of conspiracy. I thought, oh, for fuck's sake. And he said, are you going to tell us anything? You're just going to waste our time with a no comment. I said, I'm just going to waste your time with a no comment interview. He said, well, you can fucking piss off then. He said, because I ain't sitting through a no-comment interview for you, with you for two hours until your brief arrives. He said, so you're just going to waste our time, aren't you? I said, yep. So anyway, these two guys left. And they, they knew us anyway. They knew all of us. Uh, on the Monday, uh, I mean, we were, we were in the pub Sunday night laughing our cocks off about this. And on the Monday, I got a call from Mark just thanking everybody for what they did and how they did it and you know just saying how grateful he was and all the rest of it and how he was going to meet the costs and we were all in for 500 quid for our trouble for helping out and you know that's a good result i mean 500 quid in 1980 was a quite good you know quite a good wage for a overnight job and um i said uh, did you manage to uh, get sorted he said yeah yeah he said we we uh transshipped it we put uh, the pallet into another van and and just drove straight out i said really without getting stopped that was a bit risky he said no not really not really he said the second van was blue <laughs> the coppers had just waved him through <laughs> Oh, God. I heard later that uh, there was something like 800,000 in the uh, van. And the insurance thing uh, said it was 1.4 million or something. So that's a bullshit. They're all at it. They're just all at it. Um, and, you know, we got a nice payday out of it. And they got a nice payday out of it. And uh, we pissed the police off. Absolutely pissed them off. The guy that had stopped me, um, or the guy that put me up against the van, after that, he nicked me twice. He pulled me twice. And it was a direct result of making him look a monkey on that day. He, we used to call the West Midlands uh, Serious Crime Squad the Body Snatchers. Because it really didn't matter if you did it or not. If they needed a body, <laughs> they'd just select one. And I seemed to get on the body snatchers list after that. And I was pulled quite a few times. I was pulled. And then a couple of times I was actually arrested and brought in and uh, taken to, you know, taken to the West Midlands and interviewed there. So I because of that, I ended up on the body snatchers list. And it just it was just so funny. It was just one of those things that would never happen now. There is no way. Can you imagine somebody making a phone call and saying get 45 vans into that area now white vans 
and within 24 hours the area's flooded with white vans it had just it had just never happened now um they did work out who the informant was i can't remember who it was now whether whether or not it was the inside man or not but i do know that um he uh they didn't get him he went into police protection um went into witness protection he he gave uh I think he gave evidence. Wonder where did he give evidence? Oh yeah, yeah, the, no, that's right. They nicked the inside man. Yeah, they did. They nicked the inside man, and he wouldn't give them any names or anything. But at his trial, the guy that did give the names gave evidence. That was it, and it was behind a screen, and I don't got a clue who it was. And he he ended up in witness protection. So chances are he's in America now or Australia or somewhere. But, um, you know, it was just it was just one of those really weird and wonderful times of really chancing our arm. They could have nicked us at any time. They could do us for wasting police time. I'm sure, you know, these coppers, they just knew we were taking the piss. And, you know, they reacted accordingly. And the weird thing is that afterwards, years afterwards, when... Sometimes I'll be sat down talking to a copper based on, you know, something else. They'd bring this up and they'd say, you were involved in that fucking white van fiasco. <laughs> no, I said, yes. Half of us thought it was funny as fuck. This is the police. He said, half of us thought it was funny as fuck. The West Midlands Crime Squad went fucking Looney Tunes and people were reprimanded over it. Uh, because they had the inside information. And yet, you know, they walked away with 800,000 quid. I said, yeah, well, that's the name of the game, isn't it? But it's it's really funny. There's a, There was a grudging respect between the cops and robbers uh, back in those days. Far more than there is so now, I think. But um, I don't know. It's It's just one of those moments that you need to take to the grave. You know, it's one of the... It was one of the happiest days. It was one of the stupidest and funniest days I can ever remember from back then. There were others, but that was definitely top 10. Guys, um, up to you to leave your comments. Love to see your comments on this one. There are going to be up to 100. We're going to finish at number 100 with a bit of a special. And uh, yeah, I will as ever see you on the dark side especially the faithful you all take care now cheers welcome to the world of digital sound shutting down all systems